Hello and welcome to the Resilient Sessions. Alongside our weekly episodes, we wanted to give listeners the chance to hear the full story of our veterans. This is Matt's story. It's a beautiful sunny day in July 2018. Bright blue clear skies. Green rolling hills as far as the eye can see. And running through those hills is a winding and twisting tarmac road. My hands are on the bars, my feet are on the pegs, my bum's in the seat, and I'm going so fast, it feels like I'm flying. The corners are coming as quickly as they're going, and I can feel the sun bearing down on my helmet through the glare of my visor. I'm scared, but I'm confident and focused. This is where I'm most comfortable. Suddenly the, the landscape flips upside down. I don't know where the sky is. Something tries to rip me off the back of the bike. I glance over to my right-hand side and all I see is a blanket of darkness. I remember thinking, that shouldn't be there. What have you done? This is my story of how happiness has prepared me for the hardest times of my life. So we're going back 20 years. Um, it's a Saturday night and me and my mum are sat on the sofa watching TV. It's a leather sofa. It's got scars and grazes all over it. Somehow has outlived the animals that we've had in the past. It's a cream sofa. It used to be white, but we've had it a while. And the TV is mounted on the wall in the corner of the room. And through the noise of the TV, I hear the front door open. And by the heavy footsteps, I know that it's my dad on his way in from the pub. And by the faint rustle of a white plastic bag, I know that he's been to the curry house on his way back. And instantly, I know tonight is action movie night, my favourite night of the week. I had three idols growing up. I had Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone and my dad. Now, don't get me wrong, my dad isn't six foot eight and built full of muscles. But he embodies the same mentality of these action heroes. He's courageous, he's honourable and he never quits. One of his favourite sayings was, there's no such thing as I can't. And that stuck with me. But I used to get so excited watching these movies, I couldn't fully describe exactly how I was feeling. Now I could tell you that it was the release of adrenaline. And adrenaline is highly addictive. So every opportunity that I got, that I got after that, I'd go and search for that adrenaline feeling, the happiness that it brought me. So when I got to secondary school, to high school, me and my friends discovered a, a sport, a discipline that nobody was doing at the time. That was called free running. Now, for those of you that don't know what free running is, it's basically jumping off walls, railings, buildings, doing flips, tricks and stunts and trying not to get yourself killed in the process. And we love that. We love that thought, that high octane, that risk of danger. And it was our church, our religion. We would train in the daytime in the breaks at school and we'd go to our classes and then we'd meet up after school and we'd train some more. We couldn't get enough of it. But I was getting to that age where I needed to start looking for a job because I was one of the unfortunate ones where my mum and dad wanted to start charging me keep and rent. So I had to pay my way. And I thought, well, if I'm going to get a job, what better way to honour my idols? than to fulfil a military aspect of my life. So I went down to the military careers office 
And I signed my name on the dotted line and I put my right hand up and swore my oath of allegiance to the Queen. And on the 18th of the 8th, 2008, I started my first day of basic training. I arrived at the train station at Purbright, crossed over to the other platform and made my way down to the car park. I met a big group of lads all standing together, kind of milling about. Nobody seemed to know what they were doing. And straight away a car pulls up and two corporals jump out and come marching over, already on the bounce. They come charging up to us. You, sit up straight. You, stop leaning against that wall. You, put the cigarette out. Everyone dress into three ranks. Go. For whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't even said hello to these guys yet. And they're already bossing me about. What have I got myself in for here? So we're all stood in three ranks. Three kind of straight lines. Everyone's got their hands in their pockets. And we're all talking amongst each other. But all we can hear is the corporal's voice over the top of us shouting for us to be quiet. We knew that the next 14 weeks were going to be utter hell. And they were. I remember this one time we went out for a tab. And a tab is a six mile run with full kit on. So about an extra three stone in body weight. And you've got to complete it in a certain time. And we all got back. We're given 110% effort. We're exhausted, dehydrated. And the corporal looks at us and says, what's all this about lads? kind of looking at each other like, what does he mean? They said, you didn't get under the two hour time limit, so you're going straight back out and you're doing it again. We were gutted. We couldn't believe it. All we wanted to do was get back to the block, have a bit of scoff, get a shower and get our heads down. But we had no other choice. We had to persevere and keep going. And we did it. We did the tab and we made it to the end of the 14 weeks to our passing out parade. I remember marching on with my white gloves on and my white belt in my number twos and the boots that have been polishing for 14 weeks straight ever since I got there for this one day. And you can tell by not only our faces, but the faces of our families that it was one of the proudest days of our lives. A few years later, I came out of the army and I met up with the lads that I've been training with in school. And we'd all carry on training, but they'd established um, a free running team. And they'd gotten it to a point where it was the most commercial parkour and free running team in the world. And we starred in blockbuster movies like Avengers, Harry Potter and Pirates of the Caribbean. We did TV programmes, commercials, and we starred, uh, we specialised in stage performances. And we went all around the world, places like India, China, Jamaica, the Seychelles, all around the Caribbean and America. We loved it. We would hit the jackpot and we knew it. We look around each other and we couldn't believe how lucky we were. And for seven years, we lived that dream. And then I came home. And free running wasn't really cutting it for me anymore. It becomes safe. To a certain extent, I'd mastered it and, and I'd mastered my body. There was no real risk or element of danger there for me anymore. And I needed that back. I'd always been interested in motorbikes, but my family, especially my mum, had advised against it for obvious reasons. But it's what I wanted to do. So I went out and did it anyway. And I got my first bike, Suzuki SV650 in blue. Blue's not usually my favourite colour, but 
And I loved it. It was freedom. That new that new thrill of speed that I can learn to master. Now I'm quite a confident guy. Some people say I'm overconfident, cocky, perhaps arrogant. I don't think so. But in the first year of owning that motorbike, I had two crashes. Kind of proves otherwise. Now they weren't major crashes, but they were bad enough that at the end I had to get rid of the bike. But that wasn't going to stop me because I'd found something new that was exciting. So I went out and I bought another bike, a better bike, faster bike. Suzuki GSXR 600. And it was bright blue again. I don't know why. And I knew it was the bike for me when I approached it in the showroom. And it was almost like it was winking at me. And in the first year of owning that motorbike, I did 25,000 miles on it. I was never off the thing. It was almost like a part-time job. I loved it. So it's Sunday, Biker Sunday, and I'm up 7am bright and early because I know that the roads are going to be quiet, traffic's going to be light, and I'm going to have the entire countryside to myself. I've agreed to meet a friend of mine at the Ponderosa Cafe in North Wales at one o'clock. So as we're sat there on the brick wall drinking our coffee out of our paper cups, just watching the bikes rolling in and out, I know that I noticed there's a group of bikes in the corner all lined up together. And it's almost as if a beam of light breaks through the clouds and highlights this one bike in the middle. And I realised it's a blue GSXR 1000. My dream bike. The bike I've always wanted. So I did what bikers do and I jumped up and I jogged over, introduced myself and found out that these bikers were all riding together. And they'd come down from Manchester and were riding to the far side of North Wales to Port Maddock. But they were following a sat-nav. And I knew that the sat-nav was going to take them down a route where they would encounter a biker's worst enemy. Speed camera. So I said, lads, don't follow the sat-nav. Follow me. I'll take you there. I'll show you all the best roads, all the best routes. I promise you, you'll never see, you'll see things that you've never seen before. So they agreed. And 10 minutes later, we finished our coffee, jumped on the bikes and off we went. And straight away, I knew these were fast riders. But there's one guy that stood out in particular, and that was the guy on the GSXR 1000. And me and him are well out front. We've left the rest of the pack behind. And every corner that I took is 10 feet off my back wheel at all times. We're hitting the apex of the corner together in unison, hard on the throttle on the way out. Talking behind the screen to go even faster as we ride. It was beautiful, blissful. It couldn't get much better. Next thing I know, I'm sliding across the tarmac on the side at 120 miles an hour. There's dust and stones being chipped up off the road and bouncing off my helmet. The smell of burning rubber and hot oil. I'll never forget the sounds of scraping metal and shattering plastic on the road as my bike spins away from me. I don't remember much after that, except being in a bright room that I didn't recognise. The walls were bouncing in and out and I, I couldn't make sense of the ceiling or the floor. But I could hear the faint echoes, 
people's voices and conversation. The only thing I've can hold on to is how angry I am at myself. I haven't said goodbye to anyone. I woke up in an A&E medbay later and realised that I'd been in an x-ray room and I'd been hallucinating off of the high doses of ketamine they'd administered to try and combat my pain. My family all stood around the bed and as the doctor walks in, I realise I haven't got wrong before I black out again and I need to know what's going on. So I said, Doc, how bad a shape am I in? He looks at me and he says, it's not good. And my family just think that I've broken my leg and I think that I've just died. So anything else is a bonus. So he says, your left leg's a fairly straightforward break, but your right leg's a different story altogether. We don't know how bad it is until we get in there. But the plan is to remove what's left of your ankle that you haven't left on the road and to grow the bones down from the bottom of your leg to the top of your foot and fuse it. It's going to take two years. Two years? Are you Is he joking? Two years? Is amputation not an option? He says, yes, but we want to try and save the limb. I lost the argument that day and later that night I went in for a scheduled eight hour operation to remove skin grafts from my legs and a blood vessel to try and patch the holes up in my lower legs where the bones are broken and piercing the skin. I came out 14 hours later and as I opened my eyes to white polystyrene tiles on the ceiling, I could hear the beeps and the clicks of all the machines that I'm plugged into. I looked down my body and I noticed that my arm's in a sling from a dislocated shoulder. There's pain everywhere. And I noticed I've got bars and pins all down my right leg. And bars and pins all down my left leg. But through the bars I can see a hazy figure slouched in a chair. As my vision clears, I realise it's my mum. She's been sat there a while. And all I wanted to tell her was, Mum, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. From all the small things she used to worry about to actual reasons of concern, I'm sorry. I knew how you felt about the bike, but you let me ride it because it was something that I love to do. But I love you more. So no more bikes. The worst was yet to come. A week later, I'd opt to have my right leg amputated below the knee. And that's when I knew I was in a hole I needed to get out of. I was as far away from normal me as I could ever have been. But there was a lighter feeling at the back of my head telling me what the way out was. And it was free running. It's like free running. I can't even walk. How do you expect me to do a backflip? But then the gravity of the challenge hit me and I thought, why not? That is who I am. And if I can, if that's where I want to be. And if I can get a part of my essence back, then I should go for it. So a year after the crash, to the week, I landed my first backflip 
on the floor as an amputee. You can do anything you put your mind to. You just need to learn to put yourself in a challenging situation and adapt to it. Remember, there's no such thing as I can't. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Matt's story, which we've released as part of the Resilient Session series. We're back next week with another full episode where Stu and I chat to inspiring Glesma veterans and especially invited guests. See you then.